This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. On Money Talks, we discuss money news and take your questions about personal finance. For 15 years, we've provided free financial information for Mississippians. I hope you can join me, Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, co-host of Money Talks, Tuesdays at 9 a.m. or anytime on our podcast. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Hello, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Liz. I am really excited about this show and excited about having Reed Martz on. Um, Reed has been a frequent radio guest on Super Talk Mississippi and MPB. Uh, He's written uh, for the Wall Street Journal. Um, and we're going to have to have him back because he also does a, a blog on the Second, Amend- Second Amendment, and we should have him back about that. But uh, this will be a great show, and it, I think so many people are affected by homeowners associations. That's right. We'd like to welcome attorney Reed Martz, and he's going to help us understand uh, a little bit about homeowners associations, also called HOAs. I, I tell you, when we moved to Mississippi, that was kind of one of my biggest things. I wanted to try to not get into a homeowners association because I had heard so many bad things, but there are also so many positive things. So we'd like to hear from our listeners, um, but then also find out what they can do, what they can't do. Uh, Welcome, um, Reed. We appreciate you being here with us today. Well, good morning, Liz. Thank you. Reed, I think a lot of people want to know what is a homeowners association? Okay, we'll start by defining some terminology. HOA, as Liz mentioned, is Homeowners Association. There's also uh, the related term, which would be a Condominium Owners Association, sometimes abbreviated COA. In effect, they're very similar to one another, although the condominium form of ownership is much different than a traditional homeowners association. A homeowners association is generally a freestanding home where uh, there's a common development, but everybody has their own home, own lawn, things of that sort. Condominiums can be freestanding units, but they also can be more akin to apartments. So you might have one building with several different units, and you might have several buildings within a condominium development. The association itself is more or less indistinguishable between an HOA and a COA. Yeah, well, how would that be different from a zoning ordinance or a deed restriction, for example? Sure. A deed restriction is going to be something that you receive in the document granting you title, commonly called a deed in most cases. The deed is between the grantor and the grantee, the seller and the buyer. And generally, the restrictions that might be contained in that deed are only going to be between those two parties. So if I bought a house from someone who is subdividing a lot, they may say that you can't build um, any mother-in-law suites. Well, that's between my seller and myself. It might follow what's called a 
a perpetual easement, the property itself, but it doesn't apply to the neighbor across the street. And generally, the neighbor across the street is not going to have the opportunity to enforce that restriction against me, and they might not benefit from that restriction either. So that's a deed. A zoning restriction is something from the government. That is much different than a private homeowners association because we're dealing with governmental action. The government has a lot more restrictions on what they can and they cannot do, what they can restrain, what they're required to permit. Uh, zoning is going through your board of supervisors, your board of aldermen on the municipal level. Uh, but they're bound by, for instance, the First Amendment. Uh, you can't, in a zoning ordinance, infringe on someone's First Amendment right to free speech. However, a homeowners association could have a restriction, and we've seen this in other parts of the country, that say you can't fly an American flag in front of your home. That's enforceable because the HOA is a private organization that is not bound by the First Amendment. Well, let me ask. So, obviously, you do homeowners associations uh, work as, as an attorney, among other uh, parts of your practice. Can anyone draw up a homeowners association agreement, or do you recommend that they go to a lawyer? I think they absolutely need an attorney experienced in this area to know what issues that need to be addressed, not necessarily how to address them. So the attorney shouldn't tell you whether or not having external satellite dishes is a good idea. But the attorney should be able to tell you that there are federal laws that require the Homeowners Association to allow satellite dishes, and there are only a few exceptions. You can't attach them to common areas, for instance, but the owner can put it on uh, their unit, within their unit, as that's defined in the documents. Uh, and then they might uh, benefit from having the attorney's experience setting up the organization, how it's going to run, voting provisions, things like that. You've got to also compare those to the Mississippi nonprofit nonprofit corporation act and know what you can and can't do i'll tell you just in my own professional experience the biggest problems i've had are the few homeowners associations that were set up by non-attorneys who didn't know what they were doing questions about the validity of the document itself and then you've got contradictory provisions and things that are just unwise to begin with yeah, that's why I think it really is important to have a lawyer do this. Let me ask, I mean, this is, it's the, I, I, most of the time I think of homeowner association, I think somebody decides, a developer decides they want to do a neighborhood. And in that neighborhood, uh, they want to have homeowner association, and they, they start off with uh, saying there will be a homeowner association. We're going to call this the such and such neighborhood. But let's say I had a bunch of neighbors. We don't have an association yet, and we decide we want to create a homeowner's association. Does that happen very often? I don't know about often, but it has happened, and I've done those before. And, and sometimes it can be a very good idea, especially when you're concerned about uh, an external threat, something coming in, like building a gas station across the street, or uh, something that you wouldn't want in your neighborhood. I have had 
homeowners come to me and say, we want to form this even after the development was completed. But you're correct. Most of the time, it is the developer setting up the homeowners association and the provisions in what are called the covenants, conditions, and restrictions, abbreviated CCRs. Reed, you as a buyer, yes, I'm sorry. I'm, Reed, I just I was going to say, Reed, we're so excited that you're here, that you're explaining all of this to our listeners. And if our, any of our listeners have questions about homeowners associations or condo associations or covenants or what have you, we would love for you to participate in our show. You can do so by calling one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one. You could also send an email. The address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. You were mentioning uh, individuals setting up uh, an association. I guess in my neighborhood, we do have a neighborhood association, but I think it's more of a club. There are dues that people voluntarily pay and it's mostly for uh, events we have a spring bouncy house easter egg hunt or sometimes go caroling or do uh, things in the summer or the fall but it's an association but it's not a legal one or there's no requirement to join yes uh Mr. Gershon was telling me before we began, his development is a voluntary association, and that has some good things and some bad things uh, that come along with it. One of the most important that comes to mind is there's no way to enforce people not paying their assessments, so you end up with a minority of people paying the majority of the assessments. That's exactly right. That's what happens in my neighborhood, and, and my wife and I always dutifully pay our our voluntary dues because it goes to the common good and the common areas. But I'll, I think about half the people in our neighborhood do not pay. Yeah, and I see their perspective. They say, why should I? <laughs> Richard's going to pay it for me. <laughs> That's exactly right. I know we have a couple of emails that we want to get to uh, after the break, Liz, and uh, we will get to those. And we have a call and a number of emails that we're going to get to. This uh, is an intriguing show. It's a popular show. Uh, I, we want homeowners associations to make our lives lovely. You know, who wouldn't want to live in a, a place that's well-maintained and and with amenities? Uh, but then do you want to live in a place that can um, take tell you what you can do or not? We're going to go to Kenny in Flowood. Kenny, we're so glad that you've called in today. Um, you're on In Legal Terms. What's your question or comment? My question was, if I buy a house and move into a neighborhood that does not have a homeowners association, two or three le- years later, there's people in there that want a homeowners association, and they voted in, but I don't vote for it. Am I fo- forced to belong to that homeowners association or abide by their rules, even though there wasn't one when I moved in? No, Kenny. In your situation, as you describe it, your neighbors could not put a burden on your ownership. They couldn't force their HOA on you unless there was something 
in your conveyance of ownership that gave them the right to do that. You have not mentioned that, but I guess it could be a a possibility, but it doesn't sound like it. So back to the example that I mentioned earlier where the association was set up by the homeowners after the development, it was only binding on those who were in agreement and put these perpetual easements on their property voluntarily. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Well, we got a couple of more emails. This is an interesting one. Um, we have an email that asks, could you please comment on the responsibility uh, between developers, county or city governments, or homeowners association when it comes to maintenance of roads? That can be a complicated issue, uh, depending on whether or not the roads were dedicated to the county or municipality at the time of the development or some point after. Generally, the way it happens is the developer will come in, build the roads, they will be private roads in the future when the developer wants to dedicate those roads to the county. The county will come in then, do an inspection, make sure the roads are up to their standards, and then they'll accept them, the county at that over responsibility for the maintenance of the roads but there are many developments where the roads are intended to be maintained by the association forever oh, that's thank you for that and and here's another one all right so uh, we have a email from someone who lives in a community with a lake but only half the homes have access to the lake but all the homes are uh have a, a, an assessment for the the road to the lake, even though they can't use it, are they obligated to pay that? To answer that question, we would have to look at the uh, applicable documents. So we'd look at the deed, we'd look at the um, CCRs that were put in place, probably referenced in the deed. It is possible that someone would have an assessment for the maintenance of a road to a lake that they can't use. It's a possibility, and that was one of the important issues that's later on the agenda of know what you're buying. And that may be a time to talk to a lawyer, too, before you buy your property, and you should have access to the Homeowners Association agreement before you buy your property. Absolutely. I think this is something that gets overlooked when people are house shopping. Their realtor may not give them the CCRs until late in the process, many times after a contract has been signed. You're buying a pig and a poke when you do it that way. You don't know what you're going to get. Sometimes people don't get the CCRs until closing. I think that's foolish. Most property disclosure statements will have a spot to indicate whether or not there are easements, CCRs, that apply to the property. And if so, I would demand to review those and understand them before I ever made an offer on a property. Absolutely. 
this morning. We're talking with attorney Reed March. We're talking about homeowners association. We'd love to hear your stories, the good and the bad. Do you have a fantastic pool? Do you love your clubhouse? Do you love the flowers planted by the gate to your neighborhood? Or have you had a frustration because you want to fly a flag or you want to paint your front door purple? Tell us uh, if you have any questions about how the rules your homeowners association has set out. We would love to help you. Our attorney Reed Martz from Freeland Martz Law Firm is our guest with Professor Richard Gershon on In Legal Terms. And you can participate by calling one eight seven seven MPB Ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four you could also send us an email our our uh address our address is legal terms at mpbonline.org well this we got another uh, email that maybe we should address before the break and i love the uh signature line is living in the hotel california uh but uh this person has had some problems with a, a condominium owners association excuse me um and she says she's been essentially if i can shorten it a little bit uh that it's been a nightmare uh she's been threatened by a, a younger male on, owner she has problems with the board they won't provide uh the uh disabled access that is required by the state law um, so if you have trouble with a board as a as a homeowners association member or a condominium association member what can you do one of the first things you should do is open a dialogue with the board itself uh, most of the board meetings are required to be noticed or at least available upon inquiry so you could go to the meeting and see the board face to face i've found that that's pretty good most people are receptive to the face to face con <laughs> the delay here is killing me a face to face conference much more than responsive to an email so i would try to meet with the board but if the board is not following the bylaws regarding their conduct that would be something that could be brought up with a personal attorney. But also, there are generally going to be provisions for that member to call an association meeting, even if the board doesn't want to have that meeting. The membership, upon reaching a certain threshold, generally can have that meeting and raise their concerns there. The association has ultimate authority over the board itself. So there are some options, but I would start with a dialogue and then go from there. Sometimes that doesn't always work, but it's a good start. It's a good start. And, and the delay Reed is talking about, this is like you know people who sing the national anthem uh, hear themselves just a little split second after they say a word, and you see them sometimes rip off their earphones, and we have just that little bit of delay. So uh, that's what he's talking about. But I, we'll, we'll, we'll manage. I, Liz, I know you told me you have a phone call waiting as well. We do. We have Jim from Madison. We appreciate you calling in to In Legal Terms. Uh, you're on the air. What's your comment or question? Good morning. I've got a question about enforceability of uh, 
homeowner association restrictive covenants in a case in which a city might make the violation of a private restrictive covenant a misdemeanor in the city what what effect would that have on the homeowners i mean the homeowners association's ability to enforce restrictive covenants Jim, if I understand your question correctly, you're asking how does the homeowners association interact with a separate municipal ordinance? And if yeah, that's the question, the, the question actually is if 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 this, I live in Madison, if the city of Madison adopted an ordinance that said a violation of private restrictive covenants is a misdemeanor to be punished by $50 fine. Um, let's say my homeowners association uh, prohibits the display of political signs. That's something the city can't prohibit under the First Amendment. Would the homeowners association then be prohibited from enforcing the sign ordinance because it's acting in the nature of an agent, an agent of the city? Or, or is that not the case? No, the homeowners association could enforce their rule against the display of that flag, but the city probably could not under constitutional concerns. So the city, regardless of whether they say we're just enforcing a private restriction, could not violate the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. Does that answer your question? Yeah, the adoption of the ordinance wouldn't have any effect at all on the ability of the homeowners association to enforce the covenant. Correct. And I don't even think that an ordinance of that type would be enforceable. You've got concerns about constitutional violations like I just discussed, but it also doesn't put persons on notice of what might be restricted conduct because not all of those CCRs are going to be available enough to constitute notice to people. You can't be convicted of something that you don't know is illegal, at least not in most cases. Right. Well, you know, I love Madison and I love living here, but you never know what's going to happen in Madison. And um, several years ago, the police came and tried to take two blue peacocks off somebody's roof during Christmas. So <laughs> you can't be too careful. <laughs> well, I, in that case, I would be interested to know whether Madison was enforcing their own ordinance against peacocks on a roof or if they were trying to enforce a homeowner's restriction against peacocks on a roof. I don't know, but once the press got wind of the situation, um, the uh, police department changed their minds. Well, that's good. And I I think it's... uh a good time to take a break when we talk about peacocks on roofs. It is, but I'm, I've got to go. I'm with Jim. I went by that house every day during that Christmas. I think uh, the mayor had determined that peacocks were not a Christmas symbol. But anyway, they were lovely peacocks. I really enjoyed them. This morning, we're talking about homeowners associations, HOAs, with our guest, Attorney Reed Martz. I'm Liz Gill, and we're so glad that uh, you're listening today. 
This has been an interesting show so far, and we have a call. We'd like to go to Bob in Ocean Springs. Bob, thank you so much for calling in, to In legal terms, you're on the air. What's your question or comment? Yes, my homeowners association bans outside antennas of any kind, including... Uh, satellite TV. So essentially they're forcing us to get cable TV. I'm wondering if this is legal. Thank you. No, it is not. If you'll give me a moment, I will find the statute. But in general terms, what it provides is that there is a right to receive satellite communications, information, and so forth. It most often comes in regarding um, DISH and Direct TV. You have a right under federal law to um, put up one of those dishes to receive the signal and to put it in such a location that you can receive a sufficient signal for it to be an operational system. Uh, and I've dealt with this a number of times, particularly in regard to condominium associations due to the layout, the physical uh, design of those things. And in a lot of those cases, what the homeowner has had to do is get one of these freestanding dishes. It's basically a tripod. And they put it within either the unit itself or the limited common area patio of the back of this. But they can't affix it to the exterior of the unit because that's common area under the condominium form of ownership. Uh, I'm having some trouble with, here we go. Uh, Well, while we're waiting for our attorney, Mike Reed, to do some expert uh, discovery for our call about having antennas or dishes in on a home that's HOA prevents that, we'll encourage anyone else who wants to call or email us. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. You could also send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. We would love for you to subscribe to our email or subscribe to our podcast. If you go to the website for our show, mpbonline.org slash in legal terms, there's a button you can hit subscribe. So if you do this on your cell phone, that's a very very easy way to subscribe to our show so that you know what um, new episodes are available. Are you having any luck finding the information about the antennas and the dishes, uh, Reed? Yes, I did. I would go to Google, type in over-the-air reception devices. There is a rule, and you can find it on the FCC's website. It's coming out of 47... CFR, that's Code of Federal Regulations, Section 1.4000, excuse me. Uh, So you can go and see what it applies to and what it provides there. It's following a federal statute, but what you want to look at is the uh, CFR that I just referenced, over-the-air reception devices.
All right, Bob, I hope that helps you, and we appreciate you you calling in. And now we've got another call. We've got Mike, who's calling from Madison Parish in Louisiana. Mike, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. We love our Louisiana listeners. You're on the air. Go ahead, please. Oh, Mike, you're breaking up a little bit. Can you repeat your question? Oh, nope, we just lost Mike from Madison Parish. Um, that's the Tallulah Lake Providence area right across from Vicksburg. But if you can call back, our number is one 877 mpb ring That's one 877 672-7464. We understand a lot of people may be listening to us in offices and maybe they can't talk on the phone. We have gotten a number of emails this morning, which we have answered. So we would love for you to call, email us. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org with our guest attorney, Reed Martz. Well, Reed, you know, the last caller raised an interesting question. What if what if the homeowners association is doing something that's prohibited, uh, whether it's stopping you from having a satellite dish or maybe they're engaged in religious or racial discrimination or something that's prohibited by law? How what can I do as a member of the homeowners association to make sure that they enforce the law? You have a number of options depending on what the violation is. So, for instance, if it's prohibited discrimination, there's the Fair Housing Act, and that's enforced by HUD, Department of Housing and Urban Development. They have a website. You could go and submit a complaint online. You can call a phone number, and they will investigate those uh, housing discrimination complaints themselves. For instance, uh, back to Bob's question about the antenna, he could call the FCC and submit a complaint to the FCC and have them coordinate with the homeowners association to remind them that they're doing something that's prohibited. In other situations, you might have to go to the board, or failing that, to your own attorney. And there could be provisions in the CCRs that provide for the prevailing party, the one who wins the lawsuit, to recover their attorney's fee. It's happened plenty of times where the association has done something wrong and had to pay the attorney's fees of the homeowner who called their hand. Thank you for ad- addressing that for us, uh, Reed. We now have a couple of calls. Let's. Uh, we've got. Uh, oh, Mike is in Madison, Mississippi. Mike, thanks for calling in to in legal terms. Go ahead. Yeah, my question is: um, Can the association publish the names and addresses of in their newsletter of the people who are behind in their dues and maybe the amounts that they owe? Generally, not. There is another federal law called the Federal Fair Debt Collection Practices Act that would restrain them from publishing the names of debtors to third parties. This is why you've seen people who write bad checks uh, no longer have those posted behind restaurants and things of that sort. You can't take the name of delinquent association members and publish that in the newsletter as a general rule. 
uh, that's going to run afoul of the FDCPA. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Mike, for calling in. We are going to go to Chris in Bay St. Louis. Chris, we're glad that you've called in to In Legal Terms today. You're on the air. Go ahead, please. Um, hey, guys. Thanks. Good job. Um, this is more about the city coming on your property without a warrant and then using the pictures they take while on their property to, to give you citations for not being in compliance with the code. Is, is that legal? It's been a good while since I did a deep dive on the Fourth Amendment, but generally, no. Uh, okay. There can be exceptions. There are exceptions for code enforcement to come onto your property and do an inspection without a warrant. But I don't want to get too deep into that because that's not my area of expertise. Okay, I, 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 do, I know there was a case recently in Indiana where the, um, the U.S. District Court ruled in favor of the property owner, but um, so I'm in a running battle with the city, and that's that's why I, I called in. But I appreciate it. You know, one issue might be easements too. A lot of times we have easements on our property. I know that where uh, the utilities can come on, and so it might be that there might be an easement on the property. I don't know for law enforcement necessarily, but. You know, that all depends on what your deed says. And public right-of-ways, the same thing. And United States Supreme Court has a whole line of cases about what constitutes a search, whether you can look at someone's house with thermal imaging. Now that we've got drones that can fly over everyone's home, it's an interesting time to live. All right. And we do have one call waiting. Let's go to Janice in Madison. Hmm. We're getting a lot of calls from Madison, Mississippi. Janice, we appreciate you calling in today. Uh, What's your question or comment? Yes, thank you. I uh, wanted to ask uh, if um, a person, a process server, you know, a person who is hired to deliver legal papers uh, to uh, an individual uh, personally, if it is any kind of offense like uh, trespass for them to walk onto their uh, property, uh, knock on their door, and give them these papers, these legal papers. Well, Janice, it's <laughs> not exactly an HOA question. There are some provisions to allow for a process server to carry out their duties. They're a quasi-officer of the court. Sometimes it's a deputy sheriff, in which case they're a law enforcement officer. But I don't, I'm not aware of any situations where that has been successfully raised. It may apply more depending on the level of the intrusion. So, for instance, it's not really a problem when Amazon delivers a package to your front door, but if they connive their way into a controlled access building, that's a slightly different situation. Yeah. Well, what about a gated community that uh, they would need to get through the gate in order to uh, deliver the legal papers? In my experience, having dealt with a lot of process servers, in most of those cases, they're going to call the owner or call the association and say, I need to serve this person and get permission to come in. We do this when we serve people at work, uh, and they have a gate station out there. The process server speaks to the uh, 
gate officer and gets permission to go in and see the employee maybe in a reception area or something along those lines. But a process server is also going to be a private individual in most cases. And I mentioned earlier, a private individual is not constrained by the Constitution like the deputy sheriff would be, for instance. I see, yeah. Yeah, well, that's a good idea about calling the Homeowners Association, you know, to try to get their uh, approval, you know, for the access. Yes, ma'am. I like that idea. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you, Janice from Madison. We appreciate you calling in. Our attorney guest today is Reed Martz, and we're talking about homeowners association. Well, Reed, we've only got uh, we've got about five or six minutes left. Well, and one thing, Liz, we had a, a follow-up email from one of the listeners who's still listening to the show about the the, the boat access, and she wants to know if. Uh, For example, the requirements say that the Homeowners Association is going to assess the owners um, for uh, uh, the boat access plus maintaining the lake, but they only maintain the lake and don't maintain the boat access. Is that can can they enforce one uh, assessment but not the other? Is that possible? Selective enforcement is always a concern. In this case, I'm not hearing as much about, well, we only want to enforce restrictions against leasing, and we're going to ignore unauthorized use of the clubhouse. In this case, it sounds more like the board has made a decision as to the priority of maintenance and how that money is going to be spent. Like I said earlier, my first recommendation would be to discuss this with the board and find out the reasons why one area is being maintained and not the other. It may be nothing more than a shortage of funds, and the board is reluctant to impose a special assessment or a second special assessment, something along those lines. But selective enforcement of the CCRs is always a concern and should be for every board. They're not allowed to pick and choose whether they want to enforce some or enforce only against certain individuals and not others. And homeowners associations have to have annual meetings at least and or regular meetings so that homeowners can go and talk about these issues and you know they really should be an open government in a lot of ways absolutely and that's one of the biggest concerns that i hear voiced by boards is the lack of involvement of the membership most of the time i, I venture to guess to say 80 percent or more associations can't get a quorum present at the annual meeting because people just don't show up. And so you have a very few number of people making all the decisions for the association, and they don't want to do that. They do that for lack of anyone else standing up and being involved. I haven't met a board yet who wouldn't welcome more involvement. It's one of the most thankless jobs I can imagine to be on a board. And, you know, boards have to make decisions about common areas and how to take care of the common areas and things like that. And, I mean, you can't complain if if you don't participate. I, I think it goes back to the same thing we say about voting. If you don't vote, don't complain. That's great. Now, what are some of the issues? We don't have much time, but what are the 
issues that you deal with on a regular basis with homeowners associations that you would love to let people know about? The most frequent issue that I'm called to address is the non-payment of assessments. So you've got a few individuals who just refuse to pay them for whatever reason. Sometimes it's because of their own personal finances. Sometimes they're upset with the board and they think that they can withhold payment to exact some sort of vengeance or prove their point to the board. Uh, One of the other things on my list is what I just mentioned, the lack of a quorum to conduct business. This is a big concern to me representing associations is that they do not have the authority to carry out their requirements because they can't get enough people at the meetings to vote. Then you've got some uh, routine CCR violations, such as somebody violating the pool rules or parking on the street, not keeping up their yard, painting their home an unauthorized color, something like that. You might have major violations. Uh, I had a case a few years ago where someone decided to build a cover for their RV that wasn't permitted, didn't get authority from the ACC, Architectural Control Committee, to do that. They ultimately had to take it down. In Oxford, being a college town, one of the big things we have um, come up frequently is people renting their units for game weekends in violation of the CCRs. People are buying into these developments with the idea that they're going to be in a community of other homeowners who have a vested interest, and then this one person decides to rent it out to 16 LSU fans uh, Forgive me, LSU fans, but you can be some of the most annoying people on earth. And they come to town and they throw their crawfish tails everywhere and they get drunk and throw their beer in the street and so forth. Uh, Other things like that. I told you the story about the person who cut a trail from his house to the boat ramp through the trees. All sorts of things. People are amazing. Well, that's the thing. You love your neighbor as yourself, but make sure you read your homeowners association uh, requirements and and try to respect each other's space a little bit, too. Yes, you and I would both be out of a job if people just did what they were supposed to do. No question about it. I always say if people kept their promises, they wouldn't need us. That's right. We have talked a lot about some of the negative things with homeowners associations, but in my research for the show, they have talked about uh, when all things are controlled, the homeowners association neighborhoods do fetch a higher price. They do try to maintain a, a, a better lifestyle. They try to have amenities for the neighborhood to use that are beneficial for everyone. So it's not all bad, but do you need to decide what it's worth to you, I suppose? Yes, Liz, I think that's exactly right. There is a lot of benefit to living in a homeowners association that is set up and designed to protect your property value and your peace and tranquility of living there. Well, thank you. Uh, we appreciate you coming on to our show today, Reed Martz. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And right, so that's going to wrap us up for today for In Legal Terms. Are in Jackson, we've had uh, 
Java Chapman and Jay White. Professor Gershon's getting good uh, setting himself up at uh, the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill, and up next is our Tuesday Southern Remedy show, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress. But we hope you'll join us again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. for In Legal Terms. I believe next Tuesday we're going to be talking about adoption on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.